We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop podcast, episode 140. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com. We're back after a holiday break, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing much better now that we got our technical issues out of the way. We've been fumbling around like a bunch of geezers for 45 minutes trying to get Zoom to work like we didn't just live through a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh Nothing much going on today. We did a we made a spicy brat. I should say my wife made a spicy brat soup today, and it is spicy. It's one of those like immediate contact and you regret it sort of situations. So we're gonna see how we fight through that. Um, and I've been organizing my year ends, like looking back at all my book reading statistics for my other site. So uh, kind of a chillaxed Sunday for me. Uh, not so much over here. We started potty trading Sterling. So. That's been not as bad, not as bad as I thought it would be. It's been still not great, but if you had told me that he, most of the accidents have been a number one. So it's like, whatever you get a spray, get on the spot, hope for the best. It's not like he's shitting everywhere. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know how to follow that up. I was going to ask you, Kyle. I won't ask you further about the potty training, but I was going to I was going to give you at least a minute or something to discuss the the U.S. losing in the World Cup. Um, I was curious for your take on it. Um, well, I mean, they got to exactly where I thought they would go. I, I figured they would finish ahead of Iran and Wales. Uh, they did that. They played a Netherlands team, which was beatable, but. I mean, the Netherlands showed like there's a difference between being like a solid or good team, which I think the U.S. are, and being a great team, which the Netherlands are. Like they capitalize on every moment. They punish the U.S. for mistakes. Granted, the U.S. were very lackadaisical defending on all three goals, which did not help. But I think a lot of that was the tiredness and the inexperience for the players. But I I think overall they did pretty well. I... If they can get a couple of players, like if they can get a striker and maybe one more winger, one more central defender, I think they'll be fine. So not a bad showing for the U.S. It's a very young team. I I feel like they did exactly what they probably should have done. I I think people that are freaking out and being pissed off, honestly, like U.S. men's national team Twitter is the most toxic thing I've seen. That's that might maybe the Packers Twitter. Is the only thing more toxic, but wow, no, like it it is ridiculous. (laughs) Like they were saying, like, how did we lose this game? We should have beaten. I was like, where did you get this idea that they were going to beat the Netherlands? And someone's like, we got to be aiming for winning the World Cup and uh, winning. The the, the U.S. need to like first consistently qualify before we even talk about that. And they also need to get out of the group stage with ease. Like it, we cannot have any more stressful one zero win and win or go home situation like it's gotta we gotta get the comfortable settings first like we're winning there's only eight nations in the world that have won this damn competition and two of them wanted it like back when the there was no color television so like are we really gonna like it's tough to win the world cup and there are teams that actually give a shit 
and live and die by it that have not won it. So let's pump the brakes here before talking about we need to do all these things to win the World Cup. How about we just like consistently qualify? Because the U.S. were not doing a good job at that. Is is four years realistically enough time for them to make serious progress on the guys who are already on the roster and who else might come up? Because somebody put it, I was just listening to an analysis, like, well, all these other countries, they're also going to have four years and pushing more people through the ranks. I mean, soccer is obviously such a big sport in so many other nations, whereas here it's still a little on the outside looking in. So I'm not sure, is that enough time to improve markedly? They could definitely improve. I mean, with the players that left, their their best players are all young. Like, I think their best players, none of them are older than 24, maybe 25. So, like, it's pretty optimistic, like, going into the next World Cup. They should be entering their prime or just about to enter their prime. So, as long as, like, injuries don't completely derail their progress. Like, there is improvement to be made. And, again, if they get a striker that would fix so many problems. If they get a top-tier coach, that can fix it. Like, a quarterfinal or semifinal in 2026 is not out of the realm of possibility. I would say quarterfinal is probably going to be the minimum, depending on how everything else progresses. But no, four years is, I mean, a lot of other nations will get better, but there definitely be some nations that will probably get worse because, like, this was their window, and now that window's gone. Okay, cool. Real quickly, as someone whose soccer experience ended solely with playing stuff in high school. Is it reasonable for me to feel frustrated with, is this what commonly happens is they cross the ball into the middle and like jack shit happens. Is that for the U S yeah. Only happens with the U S yeah. That was infuriating. Oh, but that's what I mean. Like they need a striker that actually be over there and they don't have that. Yeah, that that would be helpful. Well, one team that does have uh, a guy who's of, of significantly higher quality than um, than the strikers on the U.S. at the moment is is the Bucks. And Giannis Antetokounmpo has has found his has found his stroke. I think he scored thirty plus in X amount, like probably six of the last seven games, five of the last six games. It's been he's been on a tear. Um, and obviously, there's been a bunch of games since we recorded last. We are going to sort of bulldoze over the Blazers win. Not even going to talk about the loss against the Bulls. The win against the Cavs, the highlight was that 35 to 10 third quarter. That was awesome. Beating J. I, I, I will move on, but real quickly, it, how um, cathartic was it beating Jason Kidd, uh, Riley? Did you, was there, did you take some satisfaction in that? A deep satisfaction. Deep satisfaction, not only in that, but also that he's hitting every note of his tenure from the Bucks now with the Mavs. So we're on to energy and effort. <laughs> Ranta fans of the Mavs creating videos declaring him the number one terrorist in America. Uh, you know, this is it's amazing. And I it's only a matter of time until people in Mavs Twitter find the fire kid. Like what we need to do is we need to send it like message in a bottle style through the internet to them and let's get it going. Uh obviously very vindicating to beat cue ball yet again uh they're not going anywhere as long as he's in charge so uh, i take a lot of comfort in that when i go to bed at night and and the thing that makes it even better is they also have christian wood who is openly saying i should be playing more and jason kidd's like no <laughs> and both are correct <laughs> in the funniest way possible <laughs> Because Christian Wood probably should be playing more, but Jason Kidd's like, no, because he can't defend. And then you look at every statistic and it's like, yes, the Mavs are much worse when he is on the court. 
Christian Wood's insane. I love that guy. He had years and years now of being like, I'm the greatest player to ever live. And it just, it doesn't quit. He's like, he's like, I'm going to keep going for it. I respect that. That's why the fact that he was able to get paid and then another team traded for him in the idea that he was going to be a, like a positive to their title hopes. Impressive. It's amazing. Yeah, that was, that was really satisfying. We really should have, um, that guy, I forget his uh, handle on Twitter, but we should have him send that Fire Kid avatar over, or at least, you know, the Photoshop file. Bucks also beat the Knicks 109-103. No, I didn't find anything super memorable about that game, but it did cap off, I would say, game stretch for Grayson Allen Kyle with that 25 points against the Mavs. And then he had that game winning three late in the game. Yeah, it was really good timing on his part just because, you know, with Chris um, coming back, it helped in that regard so good on Grayson Allen but I think the thing with the Knicks game that probably frustrated me was just how easy the Knicks had in terms of rebounding and getting points to the paint and we'll talk about that more with the Lakers game but that was the only thing I was like that game shouldn't have been that close in all honesty and yet because of the Bucks inability to stop the Knicks from getting offensive rebounds it just continued it was a no it was just like the annoying you should be winning this relatively comfortably, and yet you can't because you can't rebound. So that was a little annoying. But, yeah, good good job on Grayson Allen. Good a couple of games. And unfortunate that he did not – that shooting could not carry over to the Lakers game. See, I thought the Knicks game was the best of the week. If you wanted to choose violence plus chaos at the same time, <laughs> that's what it was. It was, it was crazy to watch. The Bucks don't play super fast, and we were just like, all right, you want to just sprint? We're just going to sprint. It was a lot of sprinting all over the place. I liked uh, the swings. The game never – the largest lead must have been like no more than six or seven points, maybe. And a lot of that was nobody could – the Bucks could not make a shot to start the game. And then as the game went on, we started making a couple of threes, but it was just a lot of Giannis powering through guys, and then Julius Randle – decided to just continue to be the worst player to have to watch in the NBA. I hate watching him play. It's horrible. His like release is horrible. The my turn, your turn, the Knicks do on offense, horrible to watch. I'm like, at least we have good players who do this. Julius Randle needs to like not take these shots. It's, if I was a Knicks fan, that would be infuriating to watch. But I liked the execution. Giannis fouls out. It was a very physical game. Everything you wanted from like a random Wednesday night game in terms of energy and just essentially a a slug up like slug it out fight. This is what it was like between Mitchell Robinson and Giannis just fouls left and right. But it was all fouls in order to like make them really earn it. It wasn't like a ticky tack foul or whatever. Like this was some brutal basketball to watch. And I enjoyed it personally. And I'm glad that even when Giannis fouled out with, I think, like a minute 43 left, you could look at it like. I think the Knicks were down two at that point, and you wonder, okay, are the Bucks going to be able to hold on? Jalen Brunson brings it within one, and then the Knicks get an offensive rebound off of a missed free throw, I think. And yet we were able to execute. And Grayson Allen hits that final shot, and that's exactly what you need from the other guys. And this week was a week where, outside the Hornets game, you kind of wonder, okay, where is the other help going to come from night to night? And on that night, uh, Grayson happened to be the guy, and that's big. So uh, I enjoyed the game personally quite a lot because it was a classic in the garden, I think. The only thing missing was a 10 a.m. start time on a Saturday with <laughs> Rodney Hood in the lead, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So 
Yeah, neither team. The largest lead for both teams were seven. Yeah, that feels about right. And no team shot about 30% from three. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the cleaning the glass game recap, which like shows the team's accuracy by location. Um, the best percentage that they've shot out of their whole season for a team was the Knicks from short mid-range, which was in their 52nd percentile. Everything else was completely just atrocious. 20% from three for the Knicks, 40% from mid-range, just a bad game overall. But like Riley said, it was um, it was very chaotic. Mitchell Robinson was absolutely slaughtering the Bucks on the boards, which, as you alluded to, Kyle, is a good entree into this Lakers game, which was very entertaining, really good offensive output from both teams. But the Bucks really kind of lost it in the interior where the Lakers were kind of battering them, you know, over and over. AD goes for 44 points. LeBron has 28. And if you look at it, the, you know, the Lakers took 41% of their shots at the rim, which is abnormal for a Bucks opponent. And then they hit 71%. Um, so it was really like AD doing a ton of damage over and over inside that seemed to eventually lead to the Bucks downfall, even though it was a real close game throughout. Yeah, it was, and it was like Anthony Davis was just hitting shots as well. Like there was, I think at the end of the first half or the third quarter, there's one shot that just like, it was like a fallback, like one footer, like went over the hoop and it was in. I was like, okay, well, not much you can do about that. And I thought the Bucks were doing, other than AD, they were doing a decent enough job. Like they're guarding LeBron pretty well. They didn't let anyone else like get their shot. But again, because Anthony Davis was feeling, I was kind of like, well, this is the one guy you probably don't want taking it. They, it took them a while to force Russell Westbrook into taking shots. Otherwise, he was perfectly fine with being a playmaker off the bench, which I, I think was the opposite of what you would want the Bucks to do. Like I, with Russell Westbrook, you want him to take those shots, and he was willing to because of the pick and roll. They just seemed to that just seemed to kill the Bucks over and over. And I don't know how much of that was just lack of like just last lack of physical defense. How much of that was the personnel that was on the floor, I'm not 100% sure, just because I think maybe with pulling, with Anthony Davis out there, you're pulling Giannis out away from having him hover around the rim as much, which might be the issue. But I, I think uh, Drew Holiday did a really good job. Giannis did get 40 points, but I think Drew Holiday was kind of like that key of why that game was still within reach. Like he was 6 of 12 from 3. He was hitting, he was matching player shot by shot, especially in the third quarter. Um, it, it was just one of those where there just wasn't enough from others to get them over the line. And I think it was like once LeBron got it to clutch time, then he started hitting his shots. And that, it was kind of a, it was a fun game to watch. Like, I know it was one of those where it's unfortunate the Bucks lost, but at least it was an entertaining game, especially on like the early Friday night. Cal, you buried the lead. Chris Middleton? perfect return what do you think was that the ideal chris middleton return game it was as good as you probably could ask i mean six of 11 he was three or four from three like it, it, I, I, that's as good as you can probably have asked him to do coming back and i feel like that's that would have been uh it's not his normal but again i think if you would have told me chris middleton comes back plays about 25 ish minutes gets 17 points on only 11 shots i'd be like okay cool can't I, I I can't complain that much, especially for this kind of game where th- you needed as much offensive contributions as you can get. And I think he did 
he did what he was supposed to do. I think where it kind of fell short was like Pat Connaughton definitely struggled from the floor. Um, Bobby Portis definitely missed a couple threes. Grayson Allen had a perfect look near the end off off of the timeout. He had a wide open three, as good of a look as you can get, and he just couldn't sink it to tie the game. My thought going into this Lakers game was, okay, finally the hot dog dance, Mickey Mouse clubhouse offense is done. Chris is back. Let's do it. And then we went out there and the first notes I heard was hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. The offense was still the same, but Chris is so much better at just like doing my turn, your turn than Javon Carter is. That's the main, the main difference. Chris is like much smoother on the ball. He'll actually take the shots. Uh, Javon as of late. And I think this is part of his role changing now that he's going to the bench, but unless it's the thunder and Boonholzer says, take every shot you want. He tends to kind of either play totally within himself, like doesn't take any shots at all unless it's a wide open three or takes all the shots. And Chris comes out there and he is probably better both because of his size and his understanding of like where his spots are of when it's time to take a shot. The connection with Drew was right back right away. The connection with Giannis for some passes right back right away. So there wasn't anything new we were doing on offense when Chris came back. It was just literally... Chris is taller and a more adept scorer. And that makes all the difference. I mean, we scored a lot of points and he looked as solid as you get, even if we weren't running a ton of actions, I would kind of push back a little bit on the LeBron guarding. If only because it's kind of weird because we put Giannis on Patrick Beverly, Patrick Beverly and drew was guarding LeBron. And I don't know who Chris was guarding. He must've been guarding Troy, Troy Brown Jr. I think. So you have this weird mismatch where Pat Bev is not a traditional point guard and he doesn't shoot threes at all. So you understand like Giannis guards him and then Giannis can just totally walk away from him. Giannis never like really walked away from him at all. I, I trying to remember a lot of moments where Giannis was able to get in and help out. They, I think the Lakers did a good job of having Pat Bev move around away from that pick and roll action and I wonder, could we have switched Giannis onto LeBron? Would that have helped? Giannis got stuck a couple of times when Brooke was on the bench trying to do the the drop back, like him doing the uh, zone drop. Just not good at it. He just doesn't. He doesn't fully comprehend, or it, it, you know, especially when it's AD and LeBron, because you get moving downhill. You give AD the ball. It's like, well, we have to try and make it difficult because this guy's making everything. And then LeBron kind of gets moving, and he's still physically massive like it's still a really strong guy so then you know I, I thought it was just interesting and it was when we threw Chris onto LeBron it seemed to go a lot like smoother in terms of guarding LeBron because he's just he's bigger than Drew is he has more length and LeBron doesn't have that first step necessarily as much these days it's a lot more like finesse unless he gets ahead of steam and I think Chris would have been a better choice trying to keep LeBron kind of bottled up a little bit on the wing but you know, that, that would have been my main quibble and the Lakers just ran a lot and we could not get set ever. Uh, Brooke tried his best, but when you're tasked with guarding a guy who can score from all three levels, like AD, that's going to be really difficult. So that would be the one thing I would, you know, be a little concerned about, but the Lakers are kind of weird. Who are you put supposed to put Giannis on? You could give him the AD. I probably would have given him AD, but I understand why Brooke was like, okay, well, I'll just kind of play. But that might be asking Brooke to do too much and taking Giannis out of the play too easily. So that was my one concern with the Lakers game. It was, uh, they, they kept going to that 
that action. I mean, it was interesting because Brooke was playing way off AD, kind of daring him to shoot a lot. And then they would go, especially in the second half, they would like put LeBron James at the left elbow, and then they would have AD set a screen for him. So it, it like looked like 90s basketball practically with like three bodies all in the paint. But I, I think what it did was it also kind of gave AD the ability to, if he got the ball back from LeBron, he would be right near the basket. He wouldn't have to think about whether he should shoot it or not because he's been a bit of a reticent shooter. And this game, he was kind of hitting some of his mid-range jumpers, but it was just a, it was a really interesting tactic that I don't feel like almost any, almost any other teams do. Very few do like a pick and roll at that close of proximity to the rim. So I think the Bucks didn't quite figure out the best way to adjust to that. And it leaves, it leaves Brooke having to commit really quickly to potentially to LeBron and then try and recover to someone who can get off a really quick hook shot like AD. So they're a really unique matchup in that respect. I think the bigger, the, the, the other big problem was really that they kind of let Westbrook do good Westbrook things, right? I mean, 11 assists, 15 points, zero turnovers. Like I obviously they tried to pester him, but he, I, I thought out of out of anyone, I, I couldn't believe how good of a game that he had, Kyle, given the, you know, my impression of what I was expecting coming in. Yeah, and that was one of the things where early, that's like early on, Westbrook was just being able to get whatever pass he wanted. And I think that was what caused Milwaukee so many issues at the beginning. And it was also one of those where it's kind of like, why? I, I understand you can't completely leave him, but you still should let like don't let AD get the ball. Don't let LeBron get the ball. Let Westbrook take his shots. Let Westbrook feel like he is getting in a rhythm. And they did not put any pressure on us. That was also kind of surprising. Like I figured if that was going to be the move where you can put Drew on Westbrook or you can put Javon Carter when he was in on Westbrook, and they kind of didn't do that at all. So it, it felt like once Westbrook was kind of able to start get going, then it was too little too late because then they had other players that are in rhythm and Westbrook doesn't have to take the shots. I feel like he has to bring the bench unit, you know, along with him. And especially with that bench, it's kind of a bunch of dudes that are just annoying. Like Austin Reeves is very annoying. Good job on Wendy and Gabriel shout out Wisconsin herd product. Um, He was, he was physical as well, but I, I think that was kind of the thing was because he didn't have to feel like he had to bring the team back in it by taking shots. That is why he was able to just be okay with being a playmaker and doing the good Westbrook things, the things that you want Russell Westbrook to do. Yeah, it's it, it was a tough night for Brooke because, like Adam said, it's different guarding LeBron at AD because they're both huge guys. You, you're trying to do a zone drop against a traditionally sized guard and a big man even if you're kind of late getting out to the guard, you're still presumably a foot taller, maybe a little bit more plus your arms than that guy. So that's, that still makes it difficult for them. Even if you're not able to move as quickly to them when it's LeBron and AD, it's like, you know, the <laughs> when you, if you're a little bit late, there's that much taller, they're able to get a cleaner look. Uh, and then Rook had left on the Island a couple of times, trying to do the Russell Westbrook thing, like trying to guard him. It's just, bad i don't know it was just I, there was a lot of good things on offense uh obviously Giannis getting a lot of pressure thrown at him and still being a produced drew had one of his like good drew games chris did well um bobby was decent off the bench so offense not worried about that 
which is, I guess, encouraging because the Lakers are uniquely built. We're not going to run up against a lot of teams that are built like them with their stars necessarily. Uh, and for the first time in a long time, our um, offense looked decent. And I think the Valley Sports Wisconsin broadcast said that in half court defense, the Lakers are second in the league only to us in terms of points allowed. I think it's like they have a 90 defensive rating. And I think we have like 89 or something around there. The fact that we were able to score as reliably as we did, given everything, I think is probably more encouraging and something that I would take away from, from more. And my concerns about the defense would say, write it off to weird matchup. You're throwing Drew Holiday on LeBron James. Like, what do you get a, you know, how often is something like that going to happen? Not very often, thankfully. Yeah, Gabe Gabe Stoltz from Brew Hoop, who covers most of the games, said that he thought Bud was like about as angry as he's ever seen him in the presser afterwards, which was which was hilarious. I mean, I can't say I blame him. Um, but that being said, there were also the the awesome sequence of the Brook block late in the game to the Giannis dunk on the other end to tie it at one fourteen. I think the Giannis block in the fourth quarter was also incredible. It made it made for great theater. the The other thing, though obviously with Chris coming back is that Bud opted to keep Grayson in the starting lineup and move Javon to the bench. What did you think about that decision, Kyle? It was probably the right decision because that is what that starting five normally is when healthy. So I think having that continuity and having that understanding, it just makes a lot of sense. And it also then takes a little bit more off of Grayson's plate in terms of for feel like he has to, you know, contribute. And I think it just allows, you know, Pat Conn to, to kind of come in and work in that closing lineup. And it gives Milwaukee a different ball handler other than George Hill that can go out and replace you and Javon Carter. So I, I think it made sense just from a continuity and everyone kind of understanding their role with the starting lineup. And then you have, you know, your bench guys. So I don't have any issue with it. I would say depending on the matchup, maybe that's when you would want to try and switch Javon and, Grayson, just if you need a little bit more defensive intensity or uh, higher defensive skill set. It makes total sense. Javon, for as great as he played in getting pushed into the starter role, he is sort of a role player. He's a bit player based on his size and what he does. He doesn't provide much creation for anybody else on offense, which is fine. Like that's he, he scores himself off of threes and stuff. That's all you need. Um, Grayson and his skill set fits better with somebody who's going to be the fifth option on offense more often than not. I agree with Kyle that we're going to now move into the phase where Javon is valuable against specific matchups. And you say, okay, we don't have it, or there's a specific guard we have to throw out there to try and harry Javon's the option. And I think based off of the minutes that we've seen from George Hill and Wes Matthews, have been okay, but they they pretty much have nothing to give anymore on offense, it doesn't seem, unless they're really called into the deep waters for it, but it doesn't seem that they have it. And if you're expending that much energy on defense, having Javon as, okay, you're the first option off the bench, you have fresher legs, you're going to potentially be able to contribute a little bit more in terms of off-ball movement on offense. I just think it makes sense, say, Moving to the bench, this is going to be a transition period, I think, for him to figure out what does this look like now, now that I'm playing with reserves mostly. Uh, and so that'll be rocky, but I, I think it makes total sense for what we're going to go for, um, for, you know, the rest of the season here. Yeah, my one thing is I I think Grayson can find his game off the bench, but I, I'm, like you said, I, I think Javon might move into sort of a feast and famine, feast or famine thing, which obviously isn't 
ideal. Like I think if he's going to be playing minutes, he has to be willing to shoot. He shot twice in that 20 minutes of the Lakers game. And then obviously he was more than willing to shoot in the Hornets game because he got the start. But I think that would be the one thing that I'd be curious about. And then also possibly giving um, I, I could also I I wouldn't mind if he occasionally swapped Javon in sometimes so that Drew doesn't have to expend as much defensively, at least in the regular season, uh, just to give Drew a little because also, frankly, Drew doesn't seem to care sometimes on defense uh, in some of these games. Like you can tell when he really cares, like against the Mavericks, he gave so much of a shit and it was completely obvious telling him out there. I mean, there was that one possession in the fourth quarter where he ran over like a Davis Bertans four times trying to screen him and he was able to just completely get around and guard Doncic. So that would be my one thing and to see if, whether, you know, Bud wants to swap, swap, swap it up at all. If, if, if Javon starts to flounder as he's trying to find his rhythm off the bench. So. Yeah. Two, two shots against the Lakers, two shots against the Knicks. This is like, is that feast or famine? They'll have games where he'll get up 20 or he'll have games where he'll get up two. And to a certain extent, you laud that a little bit. Cause you're like, look, no, know your role. You are, you are the fifth guy when it comes to trying to score. Um, and so that's good that you're not just, picking your own number each and every time Grayson picks his own number, but he does it in trying to like drive at the hoop. And then he's usually decent, at least bailing out to try and give the possession a new angle. Um, it would just be interesting to see what, how Bud manages it because they're, they both bring something. I think you're right that Grayson would probably have an easier time off the bench just because his offensive role is dribble at the guy and try and like make a layup or shoot threes. Uh, Javon as a primary ball handler you probably need a little bit more of rhythm maybe he'll get into it if he has a specific okay you are the first guy off the bench each and every time to work it out from there so that that'll kind of be the key but you know Boonhoser loves hellacious lineups of like Chris plus four guys you've never even seen in weeks you're like okay we're just <laughs> we're going for this for five minutes you're like cool this is awesome so we'll we'll see if javon finds like lineups he can function in. i think he could because usually we have two of the starters out there and if drew is like one of the first guys off then javon goes in you're okay great he just has to bring it up and give it off but we'll see how it works i this is not like the end of javon as a productive player i don't think but it will take some time to transition all right and then there's the then there was the Hornets game. Kyle, you you basically just talked to yourself in our brew hoop Discord during the <laughs> duration of this game. What were your thoughts? Uh, this is one of those games where you saw the news: no Giannis, no Drew, no Chris, and you're just like, God, it's going to be one of those games. Okay, you deal, you power through. There's. A, there's a fun part about it because it's like the expectations are so low and you're just wondering what nonsense am I going to watch? And then there's the other part where it's like, I can't believe I just spent time watching. Um, very uneventful overall. There was a stretch where Thanasis and AJ Green got minutes in the first quarter. AJ Green was a game high plus 14. And I don't understand how that happened. He was two of two from three. He made both his free throws. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, a lot of Jordan War in the first half. It was one of those games where there was too much Jordan War, but thankfully it worked out in your favor. It didn't backfire. Uh, yeah, Brooke couldn't do anything down low, but it could hit every three he wanted. It was just not 
pretty, but it was a game of basketball. Like Bobby Port, like if you look at the box score and you're just kind of like underwhelmed by all of it. And that's just how I felt was generally underwhelmed. I am honestly shout out PJ Washington because going all for 13 takes a real talent. <laughs> and I don't know how you get, I don't know what compels you to after, after like six or seven, maybe just stop. And Terry Rozier took like 21 shots. Kelly Uber took 14 and he was four 14 for the floor. Like the only reason why his stat looks decent is because he was 11 to 12 for the free throw line, but it was ugly. I think the horn totally made like, I, I think they made like four or five threes the whole game. It was, that's one of those games where you hope that it's at least hilarious. And it was not hilarious. This, did you watching it? Did you get a lot of Bucks Clippers in March vibes from earlier this year when you, when you, oh God, was, was, was it similar? <laughs> yeah. It, it, but I felt like with that game, there was at least some fun aspects of it that was going on that, uh, and also, okay, by the second half, though, that's when drinks were more flowing and I was not paying <laughs> as much attention. But it did have that kind of feeling. We're just like, yeah, this is kind of fun for like the first quarter. And then it's like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Literally, the only thing missing was it happening on like a Tuesday night instead, like in February. Yeah, uh, like, everything else is spot on for it. I The only thing I was missing was a Thanasis being a goon highlight as well. <laughs> Didn't get any of that. It it was kind of weird because it was like a half, it was a half bud. It was a half Tim Frazier for 53 minutes game, right? Like, cause you're still playing Bobby and Brooke. He's not going full, just complete end of the lineup. I think pr- probably because like people like Serge and Marjan were out with, with illnesses and have been out, but Riley, I need to find the play by play of when AJ green got completely trapped by the Hornets and looked like a high schooler and had to go to the ground grabbing the ball and like yelling at the ref that he's trying to get a timeout in like full high school kid who can't really handle the fact that he's out there. You you need to see that. You you know, now that you described this, this is a move that he has worked on. You can tell because this also <laughs> happened in summer league. I remember it. That was the only thing I remember from AJ Green was him somebody tried to inbound him the ball and somebody doubled him and he immediately turned it over and we almost lost that game so uh you know i i like to assume his plus 14 he dedicated that to the brew hoop podcast because i have a feeling we're probably in his spotify wrapped um in terms of podcasts that he hate listens to which i appreciate aj I wish you the best of luck, and I hope to God we get a different two-way player at some point this year uh, because it's just not going to work out. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Also, good Lord. I I knew the Hornets were not in the best spot, especially with Lonzo being out, but that team is just sad. Like, I – oh, man. I don't know what you do with that team. It's just not pretty. It was really bad. It was really hard to watch for them. I mean, uh, if I were a fan, I I would be really struggling. I mean, I, I don't know what you, you do. You just hope you get Wembenyama, right? That's it. That's all you can. Hope you're not even. They're point. not even bad enough for that. That's the problem. Like they're just good enough that they're not going to get him. You just hope that Lamelo, not Lonzo, Lamelo Ball comes back and like everything is okay again. Wow, I didn't know they had seven wins. That is wild. God, yeah. they are bad. They. It's not good. Uh, okay. Anyway. All right. Next segment. So we're about at the quarter mark of the season. So I want to just take the temperature on a few different questions here. Uh, 
First one, Riley, biggest surprise of the season so far. Rook Lopez, not only does he live, he thrives. And I went into the season expecting him to look like a husk. I was like, this is it. This is the final ride. He's got a robotic back and this is, this is the end. And yet (laughs) against all expectations, he's having one of the best years of his career. Never doubt the power of a contract year situation, even for a guy like Brooke, who's probably going to potentially take a bit of a discount. Do not doubt the like what twenty million dollars guaranteed can motivate you to do. I would, I'd be playing my ass off too if I had twenty million on the line and I was seven feet tall like him. So, but Brooke Lopez by far is the biggest surprise, uh, and it's a big reason why we've shot back up to being the top defense. I went into the year expecting us to be top third, but maybe hovering around the eight, nine, ten area again, assuming Brooke kind of took a step back. Nope, we're right back in the front. So I would say Brooke is by far the biggest surprise so far. I would say non Brooke. I would, I, I probably would go Brooke, but the only other thing I could think of is Javon Carter. We figured he would bring something to the table. And a lot of it was more on the defensive side, but he's had moments where offensively it's like, okay, you're not a minus on offense. Your decision-making might be, but the talent is not. And I think that's just like a welcome sight just because it at least then feels like, you don't have to rely on George Hill as much, which I, I will say is a positive. I think I'm going to go with Marjan Bochamp mm-hmm. not being just complete garbage. I, I just fully expected that as a rookie and especially as a Bucks rookie, but him being able to score 20 points in a game and then I think 19 points in another and genuinely looking like someone who might be a contributor down the line was enough to make him a big, the biggest surprise so far for me. This question is going to go right to your heart, Adam. And I'm sorry for that, but through this portion of the season, you're going to have to dig back a little bit. Has Marjan had a more exciting early stint as a professional player than Dante did as a rookie? Oh, like a trillion percent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like if you see, uh, the Dante, the Dante experience was, I mean, he made, oh, that's right. He made some nice passes though. Oh God. I mean, he could do transition. stuff. Oh he, my God. He did he stuff. Could do stuff. He Everybody, did get up for rebounds. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because we were like, well, kick Malcolm Brogdon to the curb because we got his replacement already on the roster. <laughs> I, I think it's more, I mean, the sheer fact that he was is willing and, and able to score at the volume he is and old resorter had some good stats about this in the brew comments a while back about his his usage rate and his usage rate is ridiculously high for what you would expect a, a bucks player i think he's around 20 percent or something I'm, i don't know if he still is there but i mean normally if you think about what the level of our role players are like tony snell is the epitome of it at like you know 10 11 that's like what west matthews and george hill are at the fact that he was at that level um is pretty impressive and that yes his, his shooting will is going to come and go and overall the stats probably don't look very good but the sheer fact he could show some stuff early is uh is, is pretty impressive we'll see if he gets minutes over wara when uh when he comes back um that would be nice okay uh, kyle biggest concern moving forward Bobby Portis is shooting on the one hand, Bobby Portis has become a constant double double, which is pretty cool, but he is shooting 31.8% from three, which is bad. 
and significantly lower than his average of 30, just on just about 38. So I don't know what is going on. Like, it, I feel like it's just like the shots just are falling. So hopefully it's something that based on the history, based on everything else, that will turn itself around. But it is concerning that he just cannot get these shots to fall doubly concerning because we know he spent so much time with this shot doctor did anybody check this shot doctor's <laughs> medical credentials is he really a doctor or are you allowed to just impersonate a medical professional we talk about how <laughs> this guy's around the team and all we're doing is extending the range just like look bobby's making 40 footers i'm like he probably doesn't need to be taking those in the game though huh shot doctor can we work on something else uh i too am concerned about bobby my my main concern is uh we look more or less the exact same we have for three seasons now and that's fine on defense because we're the top rated defense but when it comes to half court offense uh nothing looks different and that makes sense because everybody's like 28 or 30 and above years old who matters uh but when it comes to the playoffs are we gonna is it just gonna be Giannis carry us through chris and drew kind of coming and going and brooke maybe contributed a game and grayson like a three pointer here or there. If that's the case, I get a little concerned because Giannis is at such a high usage rate right now where he might be able to just overcome a double, a triple team. But if his mind is set on like, I'm going to the basket, that's like one of the worst versions of Giannis generally, but it's also our best option. So that's what I'm most concerned about the offense stylistically, because it's all the same guys has not changed at all. And Giannis tries to create the others but he doesn't seem as crisp or he's inconsistent with it. Some games it'll be right on the money, but other games he'll draw the double pass out and the pass is too errant for the guy to like actually get a clean shot up. Like by the time they pick it back up, defense is rotated back and now we have to start all over again. So that that's what I'm most worried about is the half court offense heading forward. Yeah. Mine would probably be the same as yours, Riley, but your comment on Giannis is a good entry to the next one. What do you think, Kyle? Has Giannis been better or worse than you expected so far? Slightly better just because he's been an offensive dynamo despite him struggling, being very inconsistent at the free throw line. I, I think in this last week, week and a half has really highlighted it where he's just consistently getting 30 points and I'm not even phased by it. Like all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yeah, 30. I would at, at this point, it's more if Giannis doesn't have 30, he either had a terrible game or the Bucks were blowing the living crap out of the other team and he only had to play like 22 minutes and even then he might get 30 so i'd say slightly better just because he's doing a lot of this in despite not being as crisp and despite his free throw struggles for those very reasons i'd say actually he's been a little bit worse than i expected because I believe his usage rate is at 39.4% so far. I mean, that's it's a full two percentage points clear of his previous career high was 37.5 or close enough. Uh, in our year uh, where we won the title, it was 32.5, like pretty low for him ever since he kind of took that next leap. I believe he's at, in terms of, let's say the past four years, he's at his lowest assist, uh, like just raw assist numbers, and he's at his highest turnover numbers. Um, he's more skilled at scoring when there's pressure, but 
but he still makes some boneheaded mistakes on like when he opts to take a three, we're back to that. I'm like, stop, just knock it off. I want to bonk him on the head every time he does it. I'm like, knock it off, Giannis, stop taking threes. And if the passing is going to be inconsistent for other guys, that's going to be tough. And the defense will always kind of be there. Uh, That's more of a game to game situation obviously the defense is good enough so if if he needs to swing in i'm sure he's capable like he has like another level in terms of scoring and maybe now that chris is back it'll all kind of drop back down again and we'll get kind of back to normal numbers but he's scoring a lot it seems like he's working harder than it needs to be and the rest of the offense sort of suffers because now we're back into the everybody's frozen place watching Giannis dribble and that might be our most effective play but it's not creative at all. And it will, it will wear him down eventually, unless he has another superhuman effort, which he might, but I'd say so far, contrary to the numbers, I don't like 40% usage Giannis. I don't think that's the best use of his efforts, his energy. Um, and hopefully we'll get a correction out of Chris's back a little bit. I was leaning uh, worse just because I think he's genuinely probably played worse, but I don't know, Kyle, you made a compelling argument that the fact that he's playing worse, but is still just like putting up 35 and 37 consistently is is like pretty crazy. And not granted the usage rate is a part of that, but it's pretty wild that he'll score. I forget whatever game it was this week. I mean, he had 11 at half and it was like, okay, well, he'll probably end up at 35 by the time the game is done. I mean, that is that is wild to fed that that we can just expect that that's just what what's going to happen at the end of the game. Yeah, this is not to say that Giannis is a bum, obviously. <laughs> please, <laughs> please don't quote that. Say, and <laughs> if you had asked me this, like, the last time we record, I would have said worse because that was when he was just in that awful stretch. Yeah. And he seems to have gotten out of that pretty well. Thanks, Ladders. <laughs> okay. All right. Name your eight-man playoff rotation. I got to pull up the team real quick here. I'll tell okay, you who's so not on it. Uh, <laughs> George Hill. <laughs> Sorry, George. Um, so let's say I think everybody's agreed the five starters. So Drew, Chris, Giannis, Brooke, Grayson. You right? think you think Grayson's in yours? I think so. Okay. This is so well, so yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Bobby. Javon. Let me get one more. Mm. Man, this is tough. Pat probably though Pat yeah, is it's it's too much too fast for Marjan to be the guy especially if once the rotation gets down to eight surge is fine but not going to get any minutes unless it's a disaster and I think I'd love to be wrong but I really do think that we're kind of entering the terminal phase of the West Matthews George Hill West might be able to give you a couple of like tough minutes um, but I just don't think they have it on offense anymore and they're not going to have big offensive roles, but you got to be able to do like a little bit of something. And so far Wes's numbers are not great, but he's not doing much. Uh, George might be a little bit better. I haven't checked, but I think mine would be Bobby, Javon and Pat coming off the bench uh, with the usual five starters. I would agree. I, I feel like Wes is kind of the, if you absolutely need a wing defender, but if you have Drew, if you have Javon, if you have even Pat out there, I think that can soak up enough of what Wes can do that, yeah, you don't really need him. So 
I would probably go the same way. I, I think the the relying on George Hill and Wes Matthews is kind of more the break in case of emergency foul trouble injury than you need to do this in order to be successful in the playoff. No Joe Ingles? No. To be determined. We we got to see what he looks like. And also, it it's tough. Like, okay, so let's say you want to put Joe Ingles in. Who's he going in over those three guys? Uh, if you do Javon, you have literally no other, like, ball handlers. Chris could do, do it. do Joe Ingles, you're but... not doing Grayson. I could see him yeah. playing over Bobby, too. Yeah, that's true. Bobby... Bobby says he's he's in such a weird spot right now uh, where I think he's he's come up big a couple of times in the playoffs, but for the most part, somewhat forgettable. Uh, and with the shooting struggles he's had, which I think you could directly say to, from the playoffs into this season, it's continued because he was not excellent in the playoffs last year when we really could use the way actually when I watch Bobby, I'm like, this is what like if Julius Randle played like as a team player, this is sort of like, OK, he's he's the like generate offense out of nothing and if bobby is not generating offense out of nothing he's better on defense than maybe even a couple of years ago and his rebounding is better than it was a year ago um but he's for us it it comes down to offense we need somebody who can like help generate something and if bobby's not being at the shots then that i'm sorry but that's that's the call we got to make so maybe joe Ingles would play over bobby but it's tough i I, yeah i'd still slightly lean towards grayson just because Joe Ingles could probably still shoot and at least add a little bit of playmaking. Yeah, he could pass a little bit. Yeah. Or a little well, pick and roll, maybe even. L- then let's say, let's say though the series is Boston. Do you guys still have the same rotation? I have been told repeatedly that what happened to Grayson is not going to happen again <laughs> from people who apparently has seen to the future. I would assume it would just happen all over again. So yes, Grayson would be getting demoted almost immediately with like the Celtics. I can come on. Like <laughs> we he don't got... have to pretend that we, that we did not see what we saw. We saw what we saw. And I'm, I do tire a little bit of like, yes, for most guys, for a star player, you can say that was just a bad series for role guys. If you get played off the court, that's, that's a symptom of something bigger. You gotta be worried about. Yeah. I, I can't do that again. <laughs> I can't. I'd rather roll the dice and see what Joel Ingles can throw. I'd rather throw Wes and Joe Ingles to Grayson Allen if they play Boston again. Yeah, it's a, it's always fun to do that because it always is difficult to eight. Eight is again. like the perfectly is, difficult oof. number to pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Okay, and then last one. This is um, I put it as worst in the outline, but I'm going to go most insufferable early season storyline. Okay, uh, the your choices are I, I did a multiple choice here. Okay, Laddergate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Giannis is repeatedly changing free throw routine. The chance that the Bucks would lose their first game of the season when Chris Middleton made his first <laughs> appearance. <laughs> Jay Crowder trade talk. Jay Crowder. Easily. <laughs> I, I was gonna I was going to go Giannis's free throw because I don't understand why the f- why the hell he changed it after you would think after game six, like whatever you did, do that every single freaking time. Do that. And they just no the Jay Crowder, because what are you benefiting from getting Jay Crowder? Like, unless you're shipping out Jordan Wara and Wes Matthews and George Hill and you got a first-round pick. Like, unless you're absolutely committing robbery, there is no reason for Jay Crowder. I'm good. I'm, I don't need it. 
I don't need uh, to do that one game is going to hit like eight threes and then the next five games not do a single thing. We went through that with Nikola Mirotic, and he's over in Spain, I think. I don't even know if he's still playing. No, I don't want Jay Crowder. That is probably the most insufferable. My favorite part, Kyle, of you talking about the Crowder trade is how every time you're like, we're getting a first in that trade if we make it. <laughs> you're going to have to <laughs> really, that's the only way you're going to make me buy into that. <laughs> Especially because Jay's already having an issue with this contract and expects to be paid by the next team. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm cool with like old guys. <laughs> I'm cool on paying old guys. Like, did you not see what happened to PJ Tucker? You think we're going to be the team that pays you if you like a good run with us? Please get real. Uh, if Laddergate had more legs, it would have been Laddergate because it's the first like little bit of break in the armor of Giannis as like all around good guy all the time to the public. Uh, you know, it's but now that these blue collar employees ruined it for us, uh, I would say I'm so inoculated to the Giannis discussion to me I just close my eyes I don't even whatever the score is when it's done I just that's what it is for me I would say maybe the Jay Crowder talk too did anybody even talk about besides me jokingly about Chris losing the first game I mean <laughs> he didn't lose the first I'm game I'm sure there's people in, but... out there I just didn't want to bother <laughs> yeah I, I would say the Jay Crowder because it's like a it's a classic get off the pot situation. I'm like, Phoenix, either you're either going to like give in to somebody because you hold zero cards whatsoever or just shut up about it. Nobody cares. Like that's probably the most, and it spawns like Grayson talk. And then you got people like who are pro Grayson and anti Grayson. <laughs> and they're like, this is all, all we need is more like divisions within discussions about this. So probably the Jay Crowder, but I've, I've not been too bothered by any of it. Okay. That's good. Oh, and then one last thing, because Giannis got called for a 10-second violation in that Lakers game. Um, how did we feel about that generally? Yeah. It's about time. <laughs> okay, that's about, I'm, I'm shocked it doesn't happen more often. I'm honestly shocked it doesn't happen more often. I get bored, too. It's getting like, really can... long. Like, fast-forwarding through the games when I rewatch, you can go, like, 90 seconds, and he's not done with the second shot. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. They, on, on League Pass, they have the skip 15 seconds or the skip a minute, and when Giannis goes to the free-throw line, it's instant three skip minutes forward. <laughs> and sometimes that'll not be enough, and it'll, like, pause, and he'll be, like, at the line with his eyes shut. I'm like, what? <laughs> What are we doing? It's just very, it's so mystifying. That's why I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) If they want to call him for it, I'm not going to throw a fit about it. Yeah, I'm totally not mad about the, he's a star. I'm like, it just, 10 seconds is too much. Yeah, it should not be. That's the reason why it's a rule. Yeah. Okay. All right, sounds good. We're going to take a quick break, do our miscellaneous topics on the other side of this, and we'll close it out. Okay, we're back. I've got a, Quick rapid fire here. Do you have a um, a favorite outdoor outdoor winter activity? I wouldn't say shoveling. I don't like shoveling. <laughs> Absolutely that not. Much. Uh I like sledding, I guess. It's a shame because we I you know, we all, or at least me and Kyle, Adam less so nowadays, but um, we live in regions where winter sports should be all the rage. Uh, we did get, my wife and I got um, snowshoes like last year. So we should go snowshoeing. And I've always wanted to pick up ice skating, but I'm a little too fearful of it still to do it. So I would like to pick up winter activities because God knows I could use more opportunities to get out of the house. But uh, sledding, just basic sledding is 
first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I'm not really an outdoors a winter person, but I, I would say like <laughs> going out and making snowmen or like a floor, like something like that, like just roll, like hang out on the snow, make a snowman or something. That that's kind of nice. I don't know. There's something fun and innocent about it. Real pleasant. Okay. W- these are the two scenarios. You keep the Giannis situation as it is. He's just Giannis. Or he never shoots another three, but he only shoots 60% from the free throw line for the rest of his career. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Okay, what is he career from the free throw line? He is career 71% three-point shooter or a free throw shooter. But he never shoots. Mm. No, I'll, I'll take the first scenario. I'll take the stupid threes too. It's it's hard watching him when he's struggling at the line. I'm like, this is horrible. And he, you know, he gets in his head with the three, you know, he'll joke about it. He's like, God said, I couldn't be all these things and shoot threes. So he has a good attitude about the fact that he can't shoot threes. At least so I would take the current horrible scenario. I'll, I'll take the guy. stupid three. If it, cause there's always that one stupid three that he takes, but it goes in and you're just like cackling because he is just so wide open. And it's like, okay. Or it's like an actual clutch three. I'll take the I'll take the stupid threes. I, I'll bang my head against the table every once in a while, but when he does make it, it is hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you or have you ever been an uh, energy drink person? No, actually, no. I've tried Monster once and Rockstar punched like twice, and that was it. And they didn't really do anything for me. I don't have an issue with like needing energy to keep me throughout the like going throughout an afternoon and evening i know some people who like drink them all the time my dad drinks them like red bulls pretty often they taste horrible and i don't have a need for them so no i'm not a energy drink guy all right which buck would you hire as a babysitter kyle's gonna have better input on this than i <laughs> I'm thinking I, really hard about this. Um, I'm going to, for mine, I'll do dog sitter since I don't have a child to be able to. Um, I'll go surge. <laughs> I, you know what? That kid will eat good at least. So I, I, I trust surge. <laughs> I trust surge the most. But plus the, the chance that you're going to get like a video recording of the kid doing like a choreographed dance to one of surge's songs are super high. Like, I, there's a lot of absolutely knots on that team, but I, I, I trust surge. I'd say uh, Marjan, if only because he posts a lot of pictures of Pluto, uh, his French terrier, I think, on Instagram. And so it seems that he likes dogs. And my dog needs somebody who likes dogs to be able to care for him. So Marjan, come on down. Very well. That's all I have. Uh, All right. Fountain pen review. It's been a minute. Uh, We are back to inks. And this week I have Gilles Blue Ocean. I'm not going to try and pronounce the title of it in French either. Oddly enough, you'd think the French for having like a literary, like a very highly developed literary culture. They love luxury items. You'd think French products would be all up in this fountain pen money hole, this money pit that I have going on here. They really aren't. They don't. There's. I don't think there's many local like domestic manufacturers of inks. The one company that does, at least is internationally known, is uh, G. Albon, J. Urban, for the uh, Americans trying to find it at home. This week, uh, I have a blue ink of theirs, and what's special about it, you guys won't be able to see this, uh, but it's has glitter in it, so gold glitter. So when it um, dries and you look at it, it shines gold uh, off the blue. It's a like a deep blue, 
similar to the Faber-Castell I reviewed a couple of weeks ago. And what I do with these inks, I also have a red one um, during Christmas or the holidays because they're special. They have a little bit of glint to them. I usually write my cards or like, um, you know, Christmas cards or if I write people letters or whatever, I usually write them in these, especially in the red, because I think it's nice to get something that's festive colored and also is like different. And it's not just like a gel ink on there. It's like an actual, I wrote it with a fountain pen ink. Uh, you have to be very careful because the little particles will get stuck in the feed of the nib really easily. So you got to be touchy about how quickly you use it. You can't just let it sit for two or three days. Otherwise the feed will clog up and you got to wash it for like 24 hours, which is kind of a pain. Um, they're a little bit more expensive, but you get good quality for it. Giorbon is probably like at the higher end of the ink market. That's why I don't buy them all that often, but the colors look fantastic. Um, and they, like for a wall, especially water-based like these, they don't run all that much. It's like perfect flow. I, I really like these. I only use them certain times a year, but this is the time of year for it. So Gier Bomb Blue Ocean Ink, uh, big fan. They have like 10 of these glitter inks. So Yeah, I was going to say, I'm looking at them right now and yeah, that emerald looks really nice. Yeah. Yeah, they have some... It's amazing. It's, it, uh, that emerald's looking really good. But yeah. the one that you also sent is pretty nice. It kind of reminds me of like a... Uh, I forgot what it's called. Okay. I, I know what it is in my head, but it has like the blue and gold just like remind... Not of Eau Claire, but... It's, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's nice. I will say, I'm looking at it right now on the website. It is pretty cool. And some of them are interesting because the emerald, the it's like a red like shimmer almost so you'll get it it's like oh here's this emerald and then the light hits it and it's like red going on it's it's very interesting hard to really develop very few companies do this but um they're i think they've been around for easily over 100 years there's like one of the og fountain pen companies so uh, if you're looking for something fancy and you have somebody against all odds in your life who uses fountain pens i, I guarantee you they would like some jockey bone some g bone uh ink so that's what i would go for for anybody looking for a stocking stuffer this time of year, that's the way to go. Beautiful. I they are really cool, actually. It said they're they're some of them are like from 1670, the anniversary inks. Oh, yes, that's yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, yeah. So the company, I should take, yeah, they've been around for like, you know, since before like the French Revolution and stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of obviously the recipes have changed for how they make it. Um, but in terms of like old as shit company that's been doing it the same way for pretty much the entire time, this is like the top shelf stuff that you can get. And it's for the cost, it's relatively reasonable for what you would expect. I know somebody will look at it and be like $30 for a fucking bottle of ink. Trust me. It's, that's not crazy in this world whatsoever. Uh, all right. <clears throat> We're going to do our predictions for the week. Four games at the magic home against the Kings, and then at the Mavericks, and next Sunday night at the Houston Rockets. Kyle, what say you? This is a joke of a schedule 4-0. <laughs> no. I think we'll go 3-1. and one. Unfortunately, it's going to be the cue ball strikes back. I think we'll lose to the Mavericks, um, and I think we'll beat the other three. Ah, the Kings are they're feistier than you expect. They got they're the feisty, but it's the Kings at home. <laughs> Don't don't overlook the beam, the laser beam that I was reading that uh, Vivek Ranadive designed so that, quote, aliens could see it in space. Only the Sacramento Kings could come up with a beam they shoot from their stadium to contact the aliens every time they win. So uh, I think but we'll it's win, in but Milwaukee, so I feel better about the odds. That's true. Yeah. 
That's true. Yeah. The three and one, I think this week. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I think we're going to lose to the Mavs as well, which sounds absolutely terrible, but I go three and one. I think, I think, you know, three and one is still pretty good. Bucks have been sneaky, just okay. Since they might not know to start, I think they're what seven and six cents. So time to get some time to get the winning moving along again. All right, Tuning, thanks to the one person that's in their Spotify wrapped. That is a testament to you and a testament to us that we somehow managed to sneak in on your your three. And how did you listen to enough episodes to even make it there? You must not listen to a lot. I know. Well, <laughs> if anyone else had us, make sure to tag uh, at Brew Hoop and uh, we'll, we'll like it or something. So we appreciate you. All right. Go to brewhoop.com for all our usual coverage. Share the podcast with your friends and we will talk to you again soon.